From across the pond, this is Off the Record with Big C. And welcome to everyone. Thank you very much, Shaggy. As per usual, this is season three, and it is the finale of season three. We have 90, 90 episodes in in the can. Is that it? Yeah. That's a toilet, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is in America. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In, in, well, the, in the UK, it isn't, but, you know. No, it's uh, like a tin. Really. It is. Um, yeah, season three finale. And in front of me, on the screen, if you're watching Facebook Live, thanks for joining us. Stinky Pete is on screen at the moment. Tomorrow. And uh, it's lovely to be here once again. Yes, it's it's always lovely. Isn't it? It's little, always lovely. A little to be chin here. wag, a little yeah. chin wag about a bit of a, bit of a rap, a bit of music. Yes, and all the better tonight, of course, because Arsenal have just lost. Arsenal have lost, and Chelsea have lost, and Chelsea so have lost as well. This is excellent. As a, a it, as as a, if Heineken did evenings, then or is it whichever it is, Carlsberg or is it? Oh, yeah, it's Carlsberg or Carlsberg. It all tastes like crap, whatever it is. But anyway, if if whoever of, of those it is does it, then this would be one of those evenings. So we're still crap, even though Arsenal lost and Chelsea lost. Well, this is this is true. But um, I thought uh, I thought Skippy and uh, and Sal played very well last night. Stepped up. Which they he did. To. He was. Yeah. He was excellent. And Skip as well. Yeah, I, noticed, I like Skippy. At one point, I noticed a comment, whether accidentally or not, he said Scar skipped, he skipped past, skipped past Skip or something like that. It was very strange. <laughs> very strange indeed. <laughs> uh, but they, they were all awful, weren't they? I, 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 I didn't think it was too bad last night. I, I was I was happy getting away with a one 0 Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, I, I don't think they. Had, I think they had four shots on target in Milan. This is AC Milan. Four shots on target, and three of those were in the build-up to their to the goal that they scored. Yeah, exactly. And one shot, I thought, did a really good job, and, and their goal was lucky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it could have been nil-nil easily. They should have scored in the second half, though, to be fair. But all this, it could have been 3-0. No, it couldn't. No, it couldn't. And we could have scored because Harry Kane hit the bar. Well, he's offside, though, wasn't he? He was offside. But I, I do I do hate this when they say, yeah, it could have been 3-0. When, no, because if the first one of those two had gone in, then the third one, the, the next one wouldn't have happened, would it? Yeah, exactly. Oh, people are stupid. I mean, you know, they don't stop. I mean, the stuff on Twitter today, I, I, I lost the world to live. Apparently, we're being taken over by an Iranian-American billionaire, except That's we're not, that. because no. Libby ain't going to sell for anything less than twice what he's offering. So that's a, yeah, that's dead in the water before it starts. Well, it was always going to be dead in the water, to be honest, yeah. I think. But, uh, yeah, and people do get a bit het up, don't they, uh, oh, on Twitter, to say the least. Right, let's get on with uh, in the season finale. Uh, hi, John. John Matthews has said hi to us. Um, hi, John. You on with John? You were, were you on, John? Yeah, okay. He insulted, um, yes. I may never speak to him again. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember why he insulted you, but for, oh, for a number of... No, yes, he insulted, yes, for a number of reasons. Oh, it was the most boring time of his life. Good man. And I'm wondering, uh, yeah, yes, you never know. They might get a mention today. Um, we are doing albums in the year 1974 tonight and i don't know you 
But there were a lot of good albums out in 1974. Um, some classic albums, ones, a few that you would always find on probably on these sort of best albums of the year. Yeah. You know, when you, when you get them I in mean, various, even Rolling Stone might do a, a one or in the magazines or whatever. There's quite a lot of them in the uh, thousand one albums to hear before you die. There's quite a lot from nineteen seventy four. Yeah, that too. Uh and there's a one by Colin Larkin as well. I think there's a coming what the title a similar sort of principle to that. Um with with seventy four though, I mean I was what, fourteen? Just really getting into the album scene if you like uh, I, I, unlike yourself I'm always as you know I'm probably more a singles guy than I am an Elvis guy anyway um, but certainly in 74 there were a few and I, I know there are a lot that I could well have chosen but I've definitely in this year gone with my heart the ones that I really loved at the time when they came out and was always listening to um and there might be one or two thrown in that I didn't get at the time, but I've got into them big time subsequently. So when you try to predict my 10, I'm wondering if you get two or three, you know, I'll be surprised to be honest. Because well, there might surprises. All right. Well, okay. So I, I, I think we're going to have the same because there's a couple of mine you'll almost certainly get, but the rest I've gone pretty left field with some of mine. Um, because 1970, so I was 17 in 1974. Yeah, um, old. Yeah. So it, so that was really the first year where I was buying significant numbers of albums under my own steam. You know, spending my pocket money or my allowance or whatever it was. So I've actually got quite a few albums from 70 vinyl albums from 74. The mm. interesting thing for me, I, I've got 10, and then I've got 11 that I could have had. So I, I narrowed it down to 21, yeah, 21. but I've got. But I've got the 10 that I'm going to talk about, and then if you haven't mentioned the others, I'll sling them in at the end. I've I've probably got a list of about 50 here. Eventually, I've put a cross by 10, possibly 11, but I've got a good few reserves. So, yeah, I've got 10 and then then reserves. But I think the interesting thing for me was that if you'd have said to me, um, you know, before we decided we were going to do 74, if you'd have said to me, 1974, what do you think? I'd have gone, it was a year that was between... 71 and 73, which were, you know, if you got 67, 71, 73, all classic album years, and then you got 76 and 78 classic album years. And there's this kind of bit in the middle, 74, 75, when we've done 75. And and I would have said that 74 was just, you know, a year in the middle. But then when I actually looked at the list of albums that came out, I thought, wow, I mean, there was an absolute crap load of brilliant albums. So, um, yeah, it was it was quite a revelation, really. And going back through my own album collection and realizing how many of them were 1974, you know, mm-hmm. going, oh, bloody, was that 74? Oh, yes, it was. Oh, that's another one I've got to add to the list. So yeah, it was quite. I, I had quite a bit of fun doing the research for this one. Well, I I I found, as I said, I went for a lot of personal ones that I did love at the time when it came out. Probably more on, on the less less rocky, I would say, uh, more. Uh, well, I won't, I won't give any clues away because I'm sure there'll be people wondering what the hell I've chosen, including your good self. Um, but okay, I'm. I'm well, I'm looking, looking forward to you uh, introducing Mantovani's greatest hits. Then, excellent. Um, possibly, 
It's, it's a pissability. It's a pissability. Not, not a great one, though. Um, <laughs> shall I start? Yeah, go on. I'm going to throw Good. in something. Uh, uh, definitely on on the on the lines of not being too rocky. Right, my first selection. This is one that I didn't actually get at the time. It's one I've gone back to listen to and admire. I think it's a great album. It the guy. It's his first solo album, came out in July 74, produced by Glyn Johns, who, who produced a heck of a lot of albums, as we well know. Uh, if, if nothing else, he was responsible for producing the, the, the Beatles Get Back Sessions uh, original, ill-fated sessions, as we say, before Phil Spector took over um, later on in that year and in 1970. Um, this was... Record it's Ronnie Lane, Slim Chance, and his band Slim Chance. Little known fact, maybe, is that when Steve Marriott left the Small Faces, Ronnie Lane wanted to call the band name Slim Chance. Right, but I don't know when Rod Stewart and Ronnie Wood came in. He they just went with the Faces. Uh, but yeah, he was the bassist with the Faces uh, and the Small Faces. And his first solo album came out in 1974. The album's called Any More for Any More. And it was recorded at Ronnie Lane's mobile studio, a hundred acres farm in Wales. And it is so much more, but there were a few faces tracks like this, probably written by Ronnie Lane, actually, but a definitely more folksy, rootsy, um, country influenced sound to it than any of the Faces albums. Even even the title track, exemplifying this, the title track, which is funny enough, called also Any More for Any More. I wouldn't um, have that. You wouldn't have swatted that. I thought I'd, yeah. I'd educate you. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was recorded spontaneously on a hill overlooking Ronnie Lane's farm. In fact, you can pick up nearby, nearby cattle and a, a light wind are picked up on the mic on it. It's, it's that sort of album. Um, there was a track, Tell Everyone, which was on the Faces Long Player album. I think that was their debut album, wasn't it? Long Player. Yeah, I, I think, think so, yeah. I think yeah. so, yeah. There's a Ronnie Lane song on that as well. Um, it, it wasn't a hit. It wasn't a hit. I don't think I found it on any lists of albums for 1974. It's just ones that I knew. Yeah. Um, there's a classic track on it, and it was a minor hit in the UK, uh, number 36, I think he got to, and that's The Poacher. I don't know if you know The Poacher, the song The Poacher. Uh, I think I, I do, actually. Yeah, I think well, I heard that. In the Gar- there was a, a journalist in The Guardian called George Chesterton who wrote the following, and I'm going to read this. Pop lyrics can aspire only to, can aspire only to be poetic, they are not poetry in themselves, but the lines bring me fish with eyes of jewels and mirrors on their bodies, bring them strong and bring them bigger than a newborn child come pretty close. Thanks to the strings and oboe of the refrain and Ronnie Lane's warm strumming, the music is as simple and transcendent as the message. And it's that kind of album, just not just the poetry, that is a good song. Um, they did a version that opened the album with Careless Love, which is like um, a real country bluesy sort of traditional song. Uh, it's been called a 19th century 
Dixieland standard, actually. A number of people have recorded it. There were six Ronnie Lane original songs on it, and it just sounded like fun when they made the album. And I, I kind of kind of know this because I, two characters that were playing on the album were Benny Gallagher and Graham Lyle. Okay. Oh, okay. Or McGuinness Flint and Obviously, they had a, uh, yeah. a as a duo as Gallagher and Lyle as well. Yeah, with uh, Benny Gallagher, who's a multi instrumentalist anyway, but he was on bass, guitars, accordion. Graham Lyle was on banjo, mandolin, and guitars. Also, Jimmy Jules on saxophone. He was used by them on their uh, own albums as well. Uh, and Benny Gallagher, for some reason, I'm unknown to myself, follows me on Twitter, and I follow him. And we had this little chat couple of years ago, and I must have been posting a few songs, which I used to do regularly until I really had the radio show, yeah. um, which is much more fun, much more fun playing the songs rather than just posting these things. Uh, and everyone can just scroll past. Um, <laughs> and he, he said, yeah, one, that Ronnie Lane was a beautiful human being. He was such a great guy, and they had the biggest fun recording this album as they had on any other. Okay. Uh, it's not a massively well-known album, but I love it. Any More for Any More is the name of it, and that's my first one. And I bet you didn't have that one down for me. I Listen, I, I there's a few which I looked and thought, well, they came out this year, Cole might have them, but there again, you might have none of them. Um, okay. I'm pretty sure you... You I'm covered your sure bets there, then. You what? You covered your bets there, then, haven't you? Really? I did yeah. cover my bets because it's one of those years. Um, so mine are a real mixture of styles and types. Okay. So, um, um, but stuff that you know, some you'll not be surprised by. Some you'll go, oh, really? So anyway, we'll see. So um, first one, very obvious choice for me. Um, Nineteen seventy-four, obviously uh, mm-hmm. recorded by the band. Uh, in South Wales, whilst the lead singer was at Island Studios in London. Um, that's because they weren't getting on very well at the time. And um, it's uh, it's The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, which, uh, it's not my favourite Genesis album, um, but it's, uh, I think, what I like about it is that it's, the instrumentation on it is quite, spare um and it's quite dark in terms of the theme and just in terms of the sound of the whole album um and also unlike one of the things that for me genesis never got right with the album covers i think you know if you compare them with you know the the the, the yeses and the pink floyds and the caravans their album covers were always a bit shit um and um and, and for me that spoiled you know, if if the album covers were better, it would have, I think, rounded off how brilliant the albums were. Certainly, you know, the early stuff. Um, but the but Lamb Lies Down on Broadway was this really clean, modern um, album cover by Hypnosis. Um, it, I think it we've talked about it. It was a lot, even that did some yeah, of the quiet albums as well. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, they, they they were up there with Roger Dean and 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 um, you know the Pink Floyd guys. Yeah. Um, so. Um, but I think, I mean, we've talked about this before because I think I chose Peter Gabriel as one of my icons, didn't I? Mm-hmm. This is very much, this is very much a vocalist record. And, you know, that's why the musicians hated it. Um, and they did this massive world tour to promote it. 
And then after the World Tour finished, Gabriel walked out left, and yeah. left. Um, I think what, for me, it's got a lot of good songs. It's got a lot of good tracks on it. Um, but I think the ones that stand out um, back in New York City, um, I think that kind of signposts vaguely towards that more punky kind of sound. Um, the Cage, which is a which, which is a good song. Um, I think that Chamber of Thirty Two Doors is interesting because Peter Gabriel was brought up very much with soul as his. You know, he, he listened to a lot of soul music. I think if you listen to Chamber of Thirty Two Doors, it's almost got a bit of a soul kind of feel about it. But obviously, the standout anthem on the album is Carpet Crawlers, which gave them their, you know, that if you if you ask man in the street who may not know much about Genesis pre the Phil Collins era, you know, the kind of whatever that later stuff was, um, you know, turn it on again and all that and have a cab and all that. Um, mm-hmm. But if you ask them, then Carpet Crawlers and I Know What I Like in My Wardrobe are the two songs that everybody knows. Um, and I think, the I, I love the words to carpet crawlers. You know, the fleas cling to the golden fleece. It's just it's very atmospheric. It's very it's dark, and it is a dark album. And I like a good dark album. So um, that was an easy pick for me. Land lies down on Broadway. That's a it was a double, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. a double, and a, presumably a gatefold sleeve. Yeah, as all, yeah double all gatefold. Always be gatefold. Oh, and listen, I love a gatefold sleeve, and, yes. what, and that's. But it, it's one of the sad things about CDs, because it doesn't matter what you do with a CD, how good you make the booklet. It's not the it's the thrill of opening up a new album and it keeping on going and going, especially the triples. Oh uh, yeah, where you just got all of this fantastic opportunity for artwork and all of the lyrics and everything else. I think we miss that now, um, which is why I'm glad vinyl's coming back, really, because it, it gives the artists a chance again. But yeah, it was a double. It's a good, it's a good album. I get, I listen to it relatively frequently when I'm having a Genesis day or mm. a day or whatever. So yeah. It was like the end of his era, basically, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was him shutting the door on that and moving off into a, different world and they moved in a different direction and you know had a very successful career on the back of it definitely but it's not that i don't think it's their defining album but i think it's certainly their it's it, it's the it, it's the album which is the bridge between the two generations of genesis i assume uh, i may, i'm just guessing here but steve hackett didn't hang around did he did he go as well uh no he was no he was around wasn't he I, I always think of Genesis as being the the three of them, but I suppose well, it that's... was the three. It was the three of them eventually, wasn't it? After when then there was three, but Wind and Wuthering and and uh, Trick of the Tail. Trick of the Tail. That was okay. Fair that enough. Was, that Maybe was four back, right, wasn't it? That was just no. That was just without. Um, Peter Gabriel. Yeah, I, think, yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't got Wind and Wuthering. I've got I've got Trick of the Tail. Yeah. I mean, Hackett's a great. Yeah, Hackett's really good. But... I presume it's not a particularly commercial album, though, really, or double album. No, it's not. Well, I mean, Carpet Crawlers is is, is the track that everybody knows. People mm. don't go around singing the Chamber of 32 Doors or back in New York City, you know. Mind oh, you, they don't go around singing any of the stuff off the first albums either. <laughs> <laughs> not unless they've got 20 minutes in a bus queue. I played on, on the radio a couple of weeks back, 
for some reason it, oh, it must have been it must have been released on that day but their first ever single which, which was but which was the silent sun of uh, trespass of genesis no genesis to revelation oh, of genesis to revelation right i love that song it's quite okay. short genesis to revelation isn't a bad album no it's very black isn't it I mean, literally black. I mean, literally black. Yeah, well, but I mean, yeah. you know, that, that, was okay. kind of, that was kind of the deal, wasn't it? I suppose. That, there was nothing there before the creation, if that was the way okay. you view things. So, anyway, there we go. Land lies down on Broadway. All right, okay. Well, I'm just going to... There's a bit of a link between any more, for any more, my first one, to this next one as well, which I loved when it came out. And I know it sounds, it sounds a bit boring, but... It, it is Gallagher and Lyle themselves. Now, they had an album. Can I just say that in of late, you've managed to get Gallagher and Lyle into this podcast almost as often as you've got the Beatles in. I th- I've, I'm starting to see, you've got a bit of an obsession on the Gallagher and Lyle front. Well, okay. I, I Hands up. I, hands up. <laughs> it did originally start as uh, songwriters at Apple. Records yeah, as well. I, I'm very well aware of that. I wouldn't right. have been had you not told the, me 15 times. The, anyway. album, <laughs> the, the album <laughs> that got me into that, that alerted me, shall we say, to the duo was this one. It was the last cowboy. In fact, those watching, I've got the CD in front of me. It is the last cowboy, the, the two boots there and the hat on it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was. They had a single out, "Song and Dance Man," which, which was a flop. I mean, the album was a flop too. It wasn't a massive hit at all. But the single, I heard it probably. I don't know, Capital Radio or, or or some late night BBC show. I don't know whether it was really John Peel style, but yeah, that was that was the one that really got me into them. But every track, and and this is something else I like about, I think the all of the ones I've got here is every track for me at least, is like a gem. Yeah, there isn't like a, a duff track, as you would call it, uh, on the album. No filler. No filler, I don't think, anyway. like Songs like Keep the Candle Burning, which opened the album, um, Villain of the Peace, uh, a couple of slower numbers, and I'm Amazed, and Maru, in my best Gaelic, uh, probably not spelling it correctly, King of the Silence, which Benny Gallagher was, uh, League of... I was going to say, I'm going to... Definitely going to, have to try and get Benny Gallagher on on the podcast in the next. If we're recommissioned after the season three finale today, in season four, I, I haven't spoken to him for a while now, so I'm going to see because he did say, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds good fun. I'd like to be on." So uh, I'll have to chase that. That'd up. be a laugh. That would because he I, it's a very interesting uh, career he's had. Yeah, uh, very interesting career, and he might be as broad a Scottish accent as Gordon, to be honest. So we'll have him and the drummer from Black Spiders on when we do our drummers thing, and we'll be well away. Oh, absolutely, all yeah. These, all these superstars. Your mate Wyatt. Yeah. Uh, which you, you've got to get me that Black Spiders. It's, it's out on Friday, you said, the uh, next thing. All right, I'll have to try and get that on air. Um, yeah, I don't think there's much else I need to say. It's the last cowboy anyway. It's Gallagher and Lyle. Okay. You didn't expect those two. I know, but I think this is what makes this podcast fun. Um, okay, so my second one, I'm going down a different route. Um, okay. And this is what is probably the best known, although not the best, of the albums by the pioneers of ambient music which is Tangerine Dream. Tangerine. 
Yeah. So Phaedra. I didn't, I didn't even see that on the list. I should have put that one down for you. If I'd have seen it. Well, it's so I'm sure people listening know about them, but, you know, formed in 1967 in Berlin by Edgar Frerzer, who's the guitarist. And he's an interesting character because he worked with Salvador Dali and that can't have been easy. Um, and he opened for Hendrix on one occasion. Um, their first album in 1971, Alpha Centauri, which um, did nothing. And then the synth kind of came more to the fore. Um, and they put together the classic lineup, which was Fraser and Chris Frank and Pete Bauman, who's kind of the other one that everybody knows, uh, in time for Zeit. Um, and that was 1973. Oh, no, that was 1972. And then in 1973, the next album, Atem, um, John Peel had as his album of the year. And I think that's when I first came across them because, you know, I was used to listen to John Peel in the evenings. Um, so, um, I mean, it doesn't sound very John Peel like to me. This is obviously, uh, well, it, but that was the, good into the Sex Pistols, then I guess. But that was the great thing about John Peel. If you look back through his. You look back through his history, right back to the Radio Caroline times, the albums that he picked, they were always very, very different. You know, he would champion people. You'd go, well, why is he championing those guys? But, he, you know, that's that. I think that was one of the great thing, the great things about him. Anyway, it was the album of the year. And, okay. and that album sold well enough for them to get a move to Virgin. Uh, Branson. Right. So then they moved to Virgin and they brought out Phaedra which is basically Moog synth and sequencers. And it was the first time they'd used sequencers. And what that meant was that, because that, they're known, if you listen to their early albums, they're basically these instrumental soundscapes. It, you know, it just kind of, it goes on in the background. Um, and, but but they could, it, it was, they couldn't really, all of that stuff was improvised. But it, and so when it got to Phaedra, that was the first time because they got the sequences where they could actually compose the soundscapes rather than just go into the studio and improvise them. Um, and um, they have just fantastic time. I mean, Phaedra itself is 16 minutes 45, which obviously is right up my stressor. Um, sure. and, and, then, um, and then the gloriously named... Um, Mysterious semblance, semblance at the strand of nightmares. Mysterious yeah. semblance at the strand of nightmares. Yeah, coming in at a pathetic, paltry ten thirty-five. Um, it was a UK top twenty hit, and it obviously didn't get so much traction in the US because it only got to number one hundred and ninety-six. <laughs> um, but. Um, I, I read an interesting thing about it. I think this was in the um, the thousand and one albums to hear before you die, um, and it's referred to as "quote unquote" a mesmeric precursor to trance and techno. So obviously, is this a good thing? you what is this a good thing? Well, I think yeah, I think it is because I think that what it was was a crossover. It was a crossover album which spawned a generation of different music that came about as a result of the pioneer stuff they did. Now, for me, I prefer Rubicon and Stratosphere, which were the albums that came 
the next two albums that came out. I think Phaedra was the was the kickoff, and then and then Stratosphere and and and, and Rubicon were better. But I th- I can't, don't think you can talk about 1974 if you're going to look at the whole range of music that came out. I don't think you can talk about 1974 without talking about that album because it was pretty groundbreaking. So um, yeah, that's my second one. I'm just gutted I didn't put that down on my list for you. I mean, you knew obviously that I wouldn't be having that in my list, I guess. But um, yeah, I should have had that yeah, one. Listen, I, there's nothing. There's nothing better than driving around the North Circular late at night listening to Tangerine Dream. I'm telling you, it makes driving around London a whole lot less stressful. Just zone out. Okay. Zone. I'll take your word for that one. I'll take your word for that one, <laughs> and move on swiftly to move my swiftly on. Moving swiftly on um, to another album, and this one was, funnily enough, at least two tracks were produced by Glyn Johns. All right, the aforementioned. Aforementioned Glyn Johns. You'll be pleased to know that neither Benny Gallagher nor Graham Lyle are featured on this album, though. So, Is there uh, a Beatle on it? No, there isn't a Beatle. Or Andy Fairweather Lowe. No, no, there isn't. Oh, there well, well, you screwed up here, mate. <laughs> that's that's the sort of people you always mention. It was South London's finest. No, it's not not South London's finest. Um, this was they they recorded a bunch of songs with Glyn Johns in London. Right. Uh, they, they I think they did the the first two albums with him as well, um, but they and the band. I won't I won't keep you on ten hooks anymore. Is it tender hooks or is it tenter hooks? There's tenter. a question for you. Tenter. It is tenter. It's one of those mis misread or misheard or as, misspoken. As so many are. I suppose so many are. I had a very long debate about this just yesterday about another phrase, which I won't say in here because it's rude. But anyway. Okay. Right. The the they want the Eagles is the band. Okay. This might be one that you thought I might have gone for. I don't know. It was a third album. The first two were more country rock influenced. They wanted a more rocky sound, particularly Glenn Fry. Um, so they ousted Glenn, Glenn Johns because he didn't think they were a rock and roll band. Um, he said, yeah, you're not a rock and roll band. The who are that? You are not. So they got rid of him. They got this guy called, and I'm not going to spell it, but it's Bill Simsick in to produce. And there's a lot of Zs and Ks and Ys. It's got more Ys than Leonard Skinner, I'll tell you. So he's he's Polish then? (laughs) Probably, probably. Um, But they got him in. They kept a couple of the tracks back that they did it in London. There was Best of My Love and You Never Cry Like a Lover. Um, But... Oh, you'd like that the hidden there was a hidden message carved. Maybe Gordon can get hold of this copy. Hidden message carried out um carved into the runout groove of some of the, the vinyl LPs. And the album is on the border. Yeah. And it said, He who hesitates is lunch. Right. Uh on the border is one of the ones that is on my list for Gordon to get for me, which I don't have. It's a good album. It is a good album. It is. I it's think a I've more got most of the tracks on Greatest Hits albums and things, but um, there are a few know. on there. I suspect on the Greatest Hits, you've definitely got Already Gone. Yeah, and Best of My Love's probably on there yeah. too. Um, what else could be on there? Maybe, maybe James Dean is on. Possibly. Yeah, James Dean is. Yeah, James. Yeah. Dean. Well, the, on the border. Sorry, the the album on the border. Sorry, Already Gone and 
James Dean are probably the two rockiest songs on it, really, to be honest. Um, I loved them back then. I loved the single Already Gone. That's the one that got me into the Eagles, or just Eagles, I know. Just ignore the fact that I say the, because I'm talking about the Eagles band. So I'm saying the uh, Desperado. I didn't really hear much at the time. Peace, um, Peacefully defeating the Eagles, the debut album Eagles 2, which looking back were fantastic albums. Yeah, they were. Fantastic albums. But On the Border was one thing, and Already Gone was the one I really loved. And the single, in fact, I had a guy at Buckers Steel County uh, at the grammar school that we both went to in the 70s. Um, he was took a trip to the States. I don't know why. Maybe his dad worked out or something. But when he went, I said, look, can you can you bring me back seven-inch vinyl? Uh, one was Rockin' All Over the World, actually, by John Fogarty. Yeah. And the other was already gone by the Eagles. And fair enough, he brought them back. So already okay. gone, I had as a seven-inch single with the yellow, I think it was, Asylum label. Okay. And he brought about the little black plastic thing you put in the middle, because I think American singles tend to have the big, big hole in the middle, didn't they? Yeah, that's right. You know, I've, I've still the, got a few of those. The those jukeboxes and stuff, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really did love that one. And uh, It's interesting, because with you being younger than me, because the first Eagle out, Eagles album I bought was uh, One of These Nights, which was the following year, wasn't it? Following so year, that, yeah. That, yeah. Was, that was when I got into them, and then I kind of, went forward from there with Hotel California and then went back to all of the early stuff. But um and I, I can I can visibly recall Goldie Horn in a film called Foul Play with Chevy Chase. And I I, I recall her wearing an on the border t shirt. I don't know that just came to me. It's just I just just remember that it's, one. It's interesting because I think on the border is a really good album cover. It's the only one which isn't that kind of dark blues and things, isn't it? It's very, it's much more, it's much brighter, which is unusual for their album covers. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one I'm now displaying the cover to On the Border to everyone. I'm very impressed that you've now taken up my uh, motif from last week and for Austin's uh, of uh, throwing albums around the place. Yeah, it doesn't really work when you just listen to the podcast. On, no, but it's, uh, it, it works on Facebook. On Facebook Live. It, it works it, on it, Facebook, it, yeah. It's good fun. <laughs> I haven't got them all, but I mean, you can see some of these I did. Uh, I did have, and some of them um, are just uh, collections on on various albums. But yeah, that, that was the first album featuring Don Felder as well. They wanted a a rock. Bill Simpson, in fact, said we need a real sort of rocky guitarist coming in, doing, doing a bit of slide, and yeah. the track "Good Day in Hell" featured him. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that and he was on "Already Gone" as well. They were the only two tracks he was on. But then they they obviously got a bit more yeah, rocky with one of these nights afterwards. And then Joe Walsh joined after that, didn't he? For before, um, yes, for Hotel California, he joined. He really, he really rocked things up. Yeah, when um, well, Felder, Felder was still there for Hotel California. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. Bernie Leadon that left. I mean, he was real country, country sort of thing. Talking to Bernie Leadon, another track on the album is "My Man," which is a Bernie Leadon song, which is to Graham Parsons, no, who okay. died in September '73. Um, uh, they were both of them were in the Flying Burrito Brothers, of course. They were. Um, and like the lyric, one of the lyrics is uh, like a flower. He bloomed till that old hickory wind called him home, which was from Hickory Wind by the Birds on Sweetheart for the Rodeo. Yep. Way back in '68, uh, did a Tom Waits cover as well, all '55. Uh, also, Don, the Good Day in Hell song, which Don Felder featured on Sly Guitar, was written by Glenn Fry, 
Don Henley claims anyway, it was written by Fry as a tribute to not only Graham Parsons, but also uh, Danny Whitten uh, of Crazy oh, Horse. Crazy Horse. So died um, in, in a rather miserable fashion. Uh, with uh, yeah. OD. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's the next one for me. Then on the border, Eagles. Okay, well, my next one uh, is basically the album that saved the band because in 1971, the entire band quit after a catastrophically unsuccessful album called Indelibly Stamped. And um, Roger Hodgson and Rick Davis had to regroup in order to save their A&M contract. Um, yeah you do and they went and locked themselves away in a farmhouse in somerset from november 1973 till february 74 and uh produced an album which was it was produced by ken scott who'd worked with bowie uh and it is um crime of the century century. by super trap um described as or sorry Supertramp are described as um, Genesis, the Beach Boys, and a smattering of Pink Floyd <laughs> by some music critic or other who'd clearly been smoking something strange. But anyway, on Twitter, uh, well, very possibly. Um, I don't get the Genesis link. I understand. I understand that the, the harmony bit with the Beach Boys and kind of the Pink Floyd, I get that kind of um, piano-y sound sometimes. But anyway, um, the single, Dreamer, which I yeah, think you played this morning. I did play this morning, yeah, Dreamer, yeah. yeah because it, And that, uh, um, that it single, you what? Yes, it was. It was, was. I think on this day. Yeah. Before, yeah. It was. Um, and that single propelled the album to number four in the charts. It also has a number of other standout tracks on it. Um, School, which is um, it starts with the kids shouting and screaming in the playground. Um, Crime of the Century itself, which uh, is that kind of lilting. I, I think it's a really good. I mean, it's a, it's a good album closer, but I think it's just it's it's a really good um, you know title track. And then, of course, the glorious Bloody Well Right, which oh. I. Absolutely loved because um, Jeff and I used to sing along to Bloody Well Right, and um, when Mum and Dad complained, we just said, "No, it's in the song. It must be all right." <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so, and that was the uh, Bloody Well Right was the B side to Dreamer, wasn't it? it? Was the B side to the single because that's that is a, that's actually a single which I own and I paid for. I, I, as you know, I don't own many, but I do own. No, even it or something. Interestingly, I didn't know this. The cover, which you, I mean, it's very famous. It's got the iconic, um, the prison bars, um, and that's really has become very much an iconic image. Um, but it was originally designed as a gatefold. Oh, really? But never released as a gatefold. It was it was just done as a as done as a single album, um, and um, a little bit reminiscent of um, Traffic's shootout of the Fantasy Factory. In that kind of the way that the things placed in the middle of the in the middle of the album cover, but even just like the um, the the uh, the text, the Supertramp way that Supertramp is written, the way the Crime of the Century is written, um, it, the whole album cover is 
is iconic. And it, and it rescued the band's career. And they then went on to have a very successful career with Crisis What Crisis and um, whatever the other albums were called. Breakfast um, in And then Breakfast in America. Yeah. 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 Which was, well, I mean, they had a couple of hit singles off that, didn't they? they did. So, um, so yeah. Um, and they're always, for some bizarre reason, and I guess that's why people think they're a bit like Genesis and Pink Floyd. They kind of get dumped into the prog box. I don't think they really are. I was going to say that. That's probably why, because they, they, they're not that, well, they're quite poppy, but they, yeah. they're also sort of on the on the proggy side of pop, I would well, say. Well, I think, yeah, I, but I mean, I, I see them as a, a, as a rock, as a rock pop band. I, I mean, a lot of their stuff could have been singles. I, do, I mean, I love them. They're, you know, I, I've, I've got Supertramp's Greatest Hits, which I've had for years on vinyl, and I've got a CD thing, which I, retrospectacle, which is a good retrospective. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I got Crime of the Century last week, uh, this week, from Gordon. So, uh, I, in fact, I played it yesterday. Good man. Uh, but, but anyway, so, yeah, good album. So that's my number three. I suspect maybe by Breakfast in America, they weren't really as proggy. They were more... No, very free. much not. Definitely more poppy. Yeah. And probably I would. That's probably my favourite album of theirs, actually. Well, but you're right, there are a few good tracks on this one. Well, I mean, I think th- I think this is their, I think this is their seminal album. But I think Breakfast in America was the commercial one, and that's what everybody yeah, yeah. knows Supertramp for. And then okay. you delve back into the back catalogue, and actually they were always good songwriters. But um, but I think that uh, yeah, that's the one that made them famous. Okay, Prime of the Century, Supertramp. My next one. Huh. It's not Andy Fairwell and Lowe. It's not Gallagher and Lyle. It's not the Beatles. So it must be South London's Finest. It's not South London's Finest. Oh, blimey, who have we got left? Someone else I, I do regularly mention as being one of my heroes. Uh, heroes. Pop music genius. He could write a pop song. The, the guy's name, I'll tell you, from Birmingham. Is, Birmingham. is it Roy Wood? Roy Wood, and it's Wizard. Okay. This album actually did make the top 20. It was number 19. It was their second album, came out in August 74. I remember getting the album because the first album, the debut album, Wizard Brew, I found particularly disappointing. You had that as your um, disappointing album when we did it before. Yeah, well, there you um, go. The disappointing album by your favourite artists. Yeah, that that was one. That was only one I threw in at the end because it's not really an album I listen to a great deal. But you you might love it because only about six tracks on it. So, you know, there's some... I I should rush up by... 13-minute tracks on on the album. So it's the second one, the one with Ballpark Incident on it? No, no. No. This is the thing. It's why I didn't like... The Wizard Brew, they, they, Roy Wood tended to keep the album's side of Wizard completely, completely separate from the single side. Oh, the singles okay. were like real throw your kitchen sink at yeah. uh, Phil Spector Productions. As you say, Ballpark Incident was their debut single. See My Baby Jive, Angel Fingers, both getting to number one. Uh, even I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day, Rock and Roll Winter. Yeah, they, yeah. they were they were good sort of. They wrote good singles. They did good songs. songs. He did, and he yeah, played yeah. virtually probably all the instruments as well. The second album they did, um, because the they pre-issued a single from it. It was called "This Is the Story of My Love," which was it was featured on the album, and the album was called "Introducing Eddie and the Falcons." Ah, oh, right. Now I vaguely remember this. Okay, I may have mentioned it before. 
effect. Have you, you got the album? To know that I've got the album sleeve there. Okay. There's Roy Wood in the middle there, looking in a cafe. I was going to say that looks like the uh, cover of a uh, of a cheap calf somewhere in the East End in the 1950s. It does. Well, and the the tablecloth there as well. And that's what I mean. Yeah, the tablecloth. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was. This was a gatefold sleeve. Um, all the band members. They had a number. They had a number of band members. There, Roy Wood being. Um, where's Roy Wood? I don't know where he's. Oh, he's in the middle. He's in the middle there somewhere. Um, it was sort of a concept like. So, so we're going to mention the Beatles. Um, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, in that it featured uh, the appearance on stage at the start of a fictional band called Eddie and the Falcons. And all of the songs on it, they're all Roy Wood originals, but they were all done as tributes to sort of 50s and early 60s rock and roll musicians. So you've got the, the opening track is uh, it's called Eddie's Rock, and it was like a guitar, sax, instrumental, very reminiscent of Dwayne Eddy. Uh, and then you had things like Every Day I Wonder, which is very similar in sound approach to Del Shannon's Runaway with with the organ, the, the, yeah. I don't know what it is, actually, the synthesizer or the organ, whatever. It was, isn't it, some sort? It's it could be. Yeah. Uh, Comeback Karen is the same for Neil Sedaka's O'Carroll. Um, one of your favourites, of course, a clear Elvis tribute with i done lots of crying over you the single as i said only got to number 34 which is very disappointing given that all the previous singles had got to the top 10 uh and they they intended it to be a double album this album with the rock and roll side and the other one was maybe one you'd like more uh was a bit more progressive or experimental in, a, in sort of a jazz style, which Roy Wood then got into with his Wizzo band later on, I think. But Warner Brothers said, or the computer said, computer said no. Uh, <laughs> Warner Brothers said no. You're not having that out. You're not having that tosh out. Let's rush release this rock and roll tribute album, which they did. They had a flop single from it, another one called You Got Me Running, which was, um, well, it bombed completely, actually. It's pretty innocuous sort of, Bobby V type pop, but it, it's, it's a good catchy song. Certainly not Phil Spector sound to a single, which a lot of the other ones did. There's even a Gene Vincent sort of song, Crazy Jeans, and, and the, the album finishes with We're Gonna Rock and Roll Tonight, which is which was not really Chuck Berry, but it's sort of a Chuck Berry riff at the start, but it sounds it sounds like it could have been on the last Move album, like California Man, yeah. that sort of era. Yeah. Um, I said, you got to number 19 in the UK. Um and ooh, yeah, they're all as I said, they're all Roy Wood songs. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean I know of it, but I don't know it at all. Maybe I should play some of that one day. Introducing Eddie and the Falcons Wizard. Okay. So my number four is my very favourite album of all by one of my very favourite artists. Oh, that is I guess. Yeah, go on. One of your favourite artists, or your favourite artists? Uh, one of my favourite. No, my my, no, my two favourite artists, or three. Three My no, that was nineteen seventy-five. Oh, I've got it down to seventy-four. Not that I had uh, it in my list, it but it's seventy-five. I went, I went to see them on the uh, on the Relayer tour at Queens Park Rangers. That was seventy-five. Mm-hmm. Anyway, no, so it, no, it isn't. Yes, I'm going to check that. Check that information. 
It isn't, yes. Oh, uh, Rick Whiteman. I'll put you out your misery. And that's very interesting. It was released on 28th of November 1974, Zuri So you maybe could have had it in your list. Well, I, it, I I thought it was 75. Yeah, maybe they toured it. They toured it after. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Anyway, um, they did definitely tour it after. They didn't. They definitely didn't, didn't tour it before. It in, they didn't no. tour it in 74. No, I just thought 74 was their fallow year because I thought that was the year that um, yesterday's came out. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, no, it is On the Beach by Neil Young. Oh, uh, okay. Which, as you know, I love Neil Young. And... Um, even Neil Young's crap albums are better than most people's good albums. Um, but it's, uh, this, this was always the album. Once I started listening to anything that wasn't after the gold rush, this was always the album that really got me. It's really bleak and very emotionally raw to the point where Neil Young came to dislike the fact that he'd been so out there um and he withheld the cd release until 2003 so he can be a miserable bastard at times oh, absolutely and very cantankerous but, yeah. uh, but so but i think i think if you look at the story so revolution blues where he basically is this long-haired avenger gunning down the laurel canyon hippies um which was pretty manson-esque um and i mean the 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 cover of the cover of on the beach is very stark it's basically 1970s detritus shoved into the sand and him looking into the distance and it's and it's very much about him putting that behind him and looking to the future um and and in fact that revolution blues which i love um, Crosby, Stills and Nash begged him not to play it when they toured in 1974. They said it's too raw, it's too close to home with the with the Manson murders. Um, my second favourite Neil Young track of all, after Like a Hurricane, which is on American Stars and Bars, um, is... Yeah. Blues. Yeah. One, I was thinking, yeah, I think it might be that. And two, I was noticing it's it's like nine minutes long. Well, so yeah, it's it's <laughs> going to be right up your strasser again, yeah, isn't it? But, but the thing about Ambulance Blues is that it, the, the lyrics are fantastic. Um, and it, 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 it's, it, it, there's a line in there which says, uh, we're all just pissing in the wind. And I just thought, again, you know, like Bloody Well Right, if you can have a song back then when it, nothing was, you know, when most things were censored, you know, half of Paul McCartney's stuff they couldn't play on the BBC, um, then I just like the fact that he had a track where he talked about pissing in the wind. But it's a, but it's a brilliant song. And again, so downbeat, that do, 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 do. And you can hear the twang of the bottom E when he plays it. You know, it, it's just a real downbeat bluesy as bluesy as he ever is um vampire blues which is kind of john lee hooker minimalistic um which is a swipe at all of the hangers on um around rock stars you know they are like vampires and then of course uh, a lot of them have and then (laughs) of course you have the number 69 chart hit which was walk on where he 
continues his banter with Leonard Skinner. Ah, okay. So he did Southern Man. Their response was Sweet Home Alabama. His response to Sweet Home Alabama was Walk On. So their response, well, maybe it was too late for them to respond. Actually, was it? <laughs> no, seventy-seven. They died, didn't they? Most of them. No, there was a there was a thread. So there was a thread through that as well. But anyway, I I love Neil Young. I you know I again I've got Gordon picking up some of the stuff that I haven't got. Um, I think you know it's like everybody. He's got some duff tracks on some of his albums, of course, um, or ones that aren't as good. But I think. On the beach is faultless. I, you know, I, I absolutely love it. Um, so when I realised that was seventy four, I thought, well, that's an easy choice. Yeah. He's had so many albums, hasn't he? So you, you, you're bound to have some that aren't as good as others. Yeah, of course. And also, he had that whole period where he did trans and everything, which were aimed at his his, his sons. He's got he's kind of got this locked in syndrome thing, hasn't he? He's, he basically can't communicate. And trans is this kind of ambient thing, which is designed to which was written for him um so uh yeah but he's a cantankerous old git but um mm. all, all the all the better for that i like i like a good cantankerous start so i love his uh really basic raw album uh what was it called when it, it, it just sort of sounded like he was in like a one of these shops you go in in the states and they have like a sound recording tonight's room. the night no, it's not tonight. It's tonight. It, that was it, the one before this. Letter from home. No, it's oh, quite, from home. Yeah, yeah. quite recent. He did. He did some stuff with Jack White as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. yeah, yeah. Quite like that. It was very primitive. Yeah. Um, well, to be fair, as a lot of Neil Young's guitar players. Well, that's what I like about him. I, what I love about Neil Young is that he is not polished like Pink Floyd. You know, basically he is raw. It's almost like, and you know, I'm sure they do do production and mixing and all the rest of it but it just sounds like they just pick their instruments up sit in the barn play and then go mm. on and and i kind of like that i think that's one of his i think that's one of the attractions of of neil young it's rough you know crazy also in no way shape or form the best band in the world you know they're out of time they you know they they're a bit of a mess really but mm. i think that's all part of the but they're his attraction. yeah i just think i just think yeah yeah i love them anyway there we go on to my next one. Yeah, let's just get this one out of the way then. This is South London's Finest. Okay. So... Yeah, must have this one down. Uh, it was the seventh album, Status Quo, if anyone doesn't know who we're talking about when we say South London's Finest. Uh, the, 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 the best boogie band in the world ever, as far as I'm concerned. Um, probably seen them live more times than any other act. This was their seventh album, as I said. It came out in May 74. Only made number two in the UK. Um, it was a follow-up to what was an absolutely stupendous, probably one of my favourite hours of all time, from 73, and that was Hello. So it had a lot to live up to. Self-produced still for them, which was good, until they started moving with other producers a couple of years, two or three years later, like with the rock and roll of the world stuff. Yeah. Uh, they got somebody else in. But that this was self-produced. And all the songs were by the band. It was probably their, I think, definitely. Are you really, going to tell everybody what it's called? Your Quo. <laughs> you want yeah. to know the title? <laughs> it's called Quo. Sorry, another one is Hypnosis Sleeves. Oh, I've got it here. Oh, strangely. 
I might actually, you might not pick it up because I got a like a double album, well, two discs, well, one one CD, but with two albums on. And Quo is the, let's get this right. No, this way. Find it there. The one on That's the. Well, oh, back to back. Yeah, yeah. Round. Oh, I remember that album cover. Yeah, you remember that one? Yeah, yes. then the other one's black and blue, isn't it? No, uh, blue, oh, uh, blue, blue for you. you. Blue yeah. for you. Um, the heaviest album I think they've ever had. But it's yeah. probably because six of the eight tracks are written, are co-written or written by Alan Lancaster, the bassist, and he yeah. did love a bit of heaviness. He uh, the Backwater Just Take Me, or Backwater, the opening track, they did, the band wanted it as a single. They thought it was the most obvious single, but the record company again released Break the Rules because it had Francis Rossi singing it. And I think they wanted to promote Francis Rossi as being the, the singer of the band. Alan Lancaster sang Backwater as he did a lot of the other tracks on the album as well. Uh, but yeah, oh, Slow Train was a great final yeah, track so, as well, trying to follow yeah. on from 4,500 times at the end of Hello. Uh, not many of the tracks, Backwater Just Take Me was a live staple for a while there. Yeah. Um, break the rules nowadays. Well, I don't think many of them get played these days live. But, well, I mean, yeah. when you've got a back catalogue the size of theirs, there's only so much you can play, isn't there? And they're getting on a bit now. They just used to extend the set, yeah. you know, two and a half to th- almost three hours. Uh, I know it's not up to Bruce Springsteen standards, who was probably on for about nine and a half hours at some Yeah, gig. but he does a lot of talking, doesn't count. Well, seven hours of that are talking, I know. This is true. Uh, Francis Rossi doesn't do a lot of ch- chat, really, other than, you know, oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um and that was it. Uh, quo, anyway, I'm just going to leave it there. Quo, status quo. Okay. 74. Well, I'm going with, uh, since since I didn't do uh, Relayer, which is okay, it's not one of my favourite Yes albums. It's uh, certainly better than the uh, execrable um, Topographic Oceans, which we've discussed before. Uh, mm-hmm. But I am going to go with the person who I very frequently mention, Mr. Wakeman who in 1974 did Journey to the Centre of the Earth, which was recorded in concert live at the Royal Festival Hall on Friday the 18th of January with the London Symphony Orchestra and the English Chamber Choir and was narrated by none other than David Hemmings, the great English actor. Hmm. it's um it's a gatefold book slash sleeve with some frankly extraordinarily dodgy artwork kind of photo montages which when i first got it i looked at the art i looked at the because you look you know i've said this before you look at the artwork and i looked at the artwork and thought this is really shite um but the album is brilliant um and um only four tracks on it. Sorry, it exploded. Um, only four tracks on it. The Journey, Recollection, The Battle, and um, uh, The Forest. Interesting factoid, although it was um, although it was recorded on Friday the 18th of January 1974, it was released on the 3rd of May 1974, which was my 17th birthday. Wow. And I sprinted around the corner. You sprinted, no less. That, that week to buy it. Um, 
The band later became the English Rock Ensemble, and he's worked with them ever since. So when I saw him doing um, Six Wives of Henry VIII at Hampton Court Palace on the 500th anniversary of Henry VIII's, I can't remember if it was his death or birth, death, I think, um, he had their English Rock Ensemble with him there as well. So they've, they, it's kind of become a staple part of what Rick Wakeman's about fantastically successful album it was number one in the uk album chart it was number three on the billboard 200 and it got a gold disc for 500,000 sales in the us by october of that year so it sold half a million copies between release on the first of may and october and he got an ivor novello nomination and it won Grammy for Best Pop Instrumental. So it is, it's a serious piece of work. And it, it's kind of described as prog and symphonic rock, which it is because it's got a full symphony orchestra. And it basically tells the story of the journey to the centre of the earth. So and I bet you our friend John is a big fan of it as well. I'm sure he is. Have you heard any of the re-recordings or performances of said album? No, I really wanted to go, but it was at a time when I was basically living in Saudi Arabia, so I just couldn't ever get tickets. I noticed that there was a, in 2012, between July and September, he recorded with the Orion Orchestra, the English Chamber Choir and his rock band. The English rock ensemble. As Hemmings died in 2003, the narration is voiced by actor Peter Egan. Peter Egan. Oh, is it no. Peter Egan? Yeah, Peter Egan. Okay. You know, I, I I didn't even know. It shows how limited my knowledge is of Rick Wakeman. I knew the album and I knew it was big, but I didn't even I didn't even know it was live. Yeah, recorded live. So and in fact, he talks on, on the album sleeve. There's a there's a great quote from him saying that he you know he knew that live albums were a bit different, but he'd never really contemplated what was involved in trying to mix and get all of the sound right. And he said, you know, a big thanks to all the sound engineers and the producer, which stopped me being a I think what's the phrase he used the gibbering pile of beer stained denims by the end. That was uh, I think that was his description. Okay, nice. Away with words. Away with words. Maybe he has got away with words. I mean, yeah. he's yeah, he's a, he's a great raconteur and an absolutely stellar musician. I mean, it, you know, all of his uh, solo stuff's fantastic. Okay, so Journey to the Centre of the Earth, Rick Wakeman. Uh, moving swiftly on from, you would say, the sublime to the ridiculous, no doubt. We are talking, we're talking one of the Fab Four here. Okay, is this the John Lennon? Um, is this the John Lennon covers album? No. Okay. Um, that was was that seventy four? Was it seventy five? I, I I'm just guessing. I, I just know he. I just know he produced. I know he produced the covers. Um, yeah, he might have recorded it in seventy four originally uh, during his lost weekend, which lasted about. <laughs> three years <laughs> yes yeah, something like that um and then it was a bit of a mess eventually it was recorded uh sorry it was released 
touched up a little bit and came out maybe in 75. He did have an album, John Lennon, in 74, Walls and Bridges, which I haven't gone for. And generally, I'm a little bit, as a Beatles fan, a yeah, little bit solo stuff. John Lennon solo stuff. There's some absolute corker tracks on yeah. all of them. Yeah, yeah. Not. No, this is, this is Ringo's, funny enough. All right. Um, he had an absolute stellar album in 73, which I think it was his, th- yeah, it would have been his third album called Ringo. In 74, he tried to follow the same sort of uh, commercial success and, and the sort of pattern of the album. And the album was called Goodnight Vienna. It was it was like the Ringo album in style. He used the same sort of friends to uh, entertainers with their uh, musicianship and their singing and their songwriting. I'm talking Billy Preston. I'm talking Klaus Vorman, our friend Klaus Vorman. Who's Klaus, got, yeah, Klaus gets mentioned very regularly. That's getting mentioned a bit. Then he Robbie Robertson, Harry Nielsen, yeah. John Lennon. Uh, I mean, John Lennon record. He was recording Walls and Bridges. In '74, and Ringo asked, "Sorry, is that the Robbie Robertson?" Yes, that'll be the Robbie Robertson, the of the um, of the band. Yeah, um, and yeah, he he rang John Lennon and said, "Can you can you write can you write as if he can just do that? Can you write me a song for my next album?" Because uh, he he wrote a song called "I'm the Greatest," which started opened the Ringo album in '73. So John Lennon suggested. Um, well, he suggested covering one song, but he also wrote a song for him, uh, which was the title track, which is called Goodnight Vienna. Um, so he also suggested to him, you should also cover the Platters song, Only You and You Alone, with just like you and the acoustic guitar, uh, which he recorded. And he, Lennon provided him a demo of it with him singing it, and virtually he just did exactly the same arrangement of it. Harry Nielsen was on the single um, and with backing vocals. Uh, it got to, where did it get to in the chart? Oh, about 24 or so. The album was a number 30 hit in the UK, number eight hit in the US. Uh, Elton was on the album too. He contributed Snookaroo with Bernie Taupin, um, and that was a number 51 hit in the UK, only uh, oh, well, a number three in the US. So they did better over there than they did here. Now, only you was 28, actually, in the UK, six in the US. Three songs co-written by Ringo and one solely, solely written by Ringo. Um, but there was a Hoyt Axon cover. There was a Roger Miller cover. Uh, there's some there's some good songs on there and a Harry Nielsen cover as well. Also, Nicky Hopkins is on there and Bobby Keys on the sax and stuff. So all the usual suspects, Dr. John, I mean, you name it, the usual suspects are on there. And I've gone for Goodnight Vienna, another album that I really loved. And that had a, oh, I do have that one. It was like him as a um, an astronaut. <clears throat> That is the album sleeve. That's um, that, that's Clarto uh, from. Um, well, what's the bloody film called? Oh, Cuntsman. That's a that that's a spoof on a on a film. Poster. That could well be then that case, yeah. 
Yeah. But it was a it was a decent album. That's what I've got in. It'll come to me. Um, okay. Yep. Right. Well, I'm gonna go. So having done some prog and a uh, bit of trance, I'm now gonna go for some down home, straightforward southern rock. Um, oh, second helping. Second helping. Yeah. And I think um, what what interests me is that very often bands Skinner for anyone that is uh, yes, yeah. um very often bands do kind of like they have a, a real standout first album and they all of their creative fire goes into the first album and the follow-up's always you know a bit right. bleh. um and then maybe later on in their careers they kind of pick up again not all bands do um but i think in skinner's case you've got kind of you know pronounced which is an all-time great debut. We talked about that on the great debut albums show ages back. Um, and I, you know, I, I said at the time that my, you know, my thing with a debut album is how many of the songs on the debut album are still in the live set and in pronounced it was, it was four of them. Um, but I think that in second helping, you've got kind of one album, one and album two, and then three and four aren't as good. I mean, we talked about one of them last week. Um, and then five and six are the live album and Street Survivors where they're back on form. But I think Second Helping, I mean, clearly, you know, it's got their signature song on it, Sweet Home Alabama. Um, it opens the album, doesn't it? It does. It opens the album. And with Freebird, you know, if you say Leonard Skinner, they're the two songs that everybody talked about. It was a big hit single. Um, it includes the Neil Young uh, jibe uh, in it. Um, I mean, interesting that they kind of adopted Alabama as home when uh, they all come from Florida. Uh, but anyway, um, and then, but also on the album, you've got Working for MCA, which has been the set opener forever. Um, you've got the Ballad of Curtis Lowe, which I love. Um, that's the one which has got sort of steel guitar on it. Um, and this kind of talks about this black guy, this old black guy who could play the blues like no one had ever heard. And I, it, and it annoys me because I think that song very much gives the lie to this kind of thing they've been smeared with, this kind of white racist Confederate nonsense, um, just because they happen to fly the Confederate flag at the back of the, um, the back of the stage, you know, and it, it, and it was, and I don't, you know, I don't buy that whole, well, you know, they support the Ku Klux Klan and all this nonsense. Um, and, um, I do so, like a Confederate flag, don't they? They do like a Confederate flag. I remember, I remember that the gig that we both went to, both yeah, attended. The big Confederate flag flying behind us. They always have had. Always, yeah. But so did Elvis. He, he had Confederate flags as well. So, you know, I just, I, I you know, I, Who? I understand, Mr. Presley, I understand that, I understand that now there is this whole thing about the Confederate flag. I get that. Totally understand why with everything that's been going on in America, but I don't think in the 1970s that was why they anyway. That's yeah, my okay. But then also you've got um Needle on the Spoon, which was a Collins and Van Zandt anti-drug song. That's always in the live set. And then JJ Kale's Call with a Breeze, which is also always in the live set. So again, you've got four live set staples on that second album, which cannot be said for albums three and four. So um, that again, that was an easy choice. Second helping. <clears throat> I, like, I like the way we link these together. We mentioned Bobby Keys on the one. He's featured on this album too, on two tracks. Name the tracks. Uh, Can you... no Call me the breeze. Which Call me the breeze. Right. 
And don't ask me no questions. Oh, don't ask me no questions. Don't ask me no questions. Don't tell you no lies. Yeah. Not the Graham Parker song. That's don't don't ask no, me questions. Don't, no, look, don't ask me questions. Yeah, no different. Yeah, hey, Lord. Okay. So second helping, Lena Skinner is your next one. Right, my next one is... Ooh, okay. Randy Newman. Love a bit of Randy Newman. Short people? It's not got short people. No, short people was a little bit later. But that, was by, that was by Randy Newman. It was. That was very controversial as well at the time, wasn't it? Short people got very offended by it. It's not, it's not controversial when I sing it to short people. <laughs> no, maybe so. I'm sure it was meant to be an ironic song, but it probably of course it was ironic. Can't do you can't you can't do irony, can you? Like you can't do irony on Twitter. There should be an ironic tw- tw- um, font, shouldn't there? Yeah or, yeah, or an ironic button. Everything. Yeah, something so serious. Tenth of September '74 was released. It was his fourth album. And I, I do love a bit of Randy Newman. I just think I love his songs. Uh, it was his first, first achieved international, well, ma- not international necessarily, but certainly major commercial success. It was a, even top 40 in the US. Didn't really make it anywhere else. This is in Rolling Stones list. You'd be pleased to know. 390, yeah. 394 in the Rolling Stones list. The album is called Good Old Boys. And okay. a lot of the songs have been like a lot of Randy Newman songs that have already been recorded by other artists he gave them away uh, to. Uh, for example, on this album, oh, Bonnie Raitt released Guilty as a song, as a single. Um, but also, I think it's just his, his the topics that he sings about are, are all interesting. Yeah. I mean, recounting, um, uh, incorporating historical events like that there was a great Mississippi flood of 1927, which the track Louisiana 1927 was all about another great song. Um, there was even a track, uh, which was recording or uh, re- remembering reflecting, uh, achievements and slogans of the Louisiana politician, Huey, the Kingfish long. Uh, in fact, said politician even performs on it and it's a song that he wrote also on the track linking with one of my earlier bands bernie leiden glenn fry and don henley are all singing on it too okay um every man a king that is the song uh and and some great songs on there rednecks i love birmingham or birmingham as he calls it as in alabama Birmingham, yeah. Um, you would love Birmingham, Birmingham, if you were singing, if you were around. Birmingham, Birmingham, it doesn't sound the same, does it? Birmingham. Birmingham, actually. Birmingham. Yeah, so imagine. Actually. Actually. Birmingham, yeah, we could do, uh, Ozzy Osbourne could record it, perhaps. <laughs> yes, and Roy Wood. Birmingham, yeah, and Roy Wood, or Jeff Lynne. Uh, Ry Cooder was on guitar on... Um, yeah, there's a, a, num- a number of well-known artists. A bit of a right. who's who of uh, great musicians. Yeah, again, as always. But he, he was just a great wordsmith, and I, yeah, I like that. I like that. Of course, he's, he's now into like TV themes or movie themes, isn't he, more? But he could write a damn fine tune, and this was his first really big album, Good Old Boys. Cool. Okay. Well, my number seven is 
the uh, the second live album of uh, of my collection. As you know, I'm a big fan of your average live album. I'm going to guess. Can I guess? Right. Yeah. Is it Focus? No. <sighs> you mean well, live at the ra- Focus Live at the Rainbow? No, maybe this isn't Focus. I, I thought it was Focus. <laughs> I'm talking about the Hamburg, the Hamburg Concerto. Was that not right, Focus? You're up. No, okay. Hamburg Concerto. I didn't know that was 1974. I can't believe I missed that off. Yeah. Damn. Right, Hamburger Concerto is my favourite Focus album. Okay, it's not, it's not live, but but Focus. So along, so when I got my first, when I got my um, hi-fi, you know, my with my with my turntable, first three albums I played were um, Caravan Sarai by Santana, Twelve Dreams of Doctor Sardonicus by Spirit, and Hamburger Concerto by Focus. It is my most played vinyl album. I absolutely love it. And I'd forgotten completely that was 1974. 74. Yes, it was. It was. Damn. It was, it's the usual thing. There's so many to choose from. And I, and I was going through my album collection and thinking, right, which ones are we going to choose? Forgotten completely that was 74. Brilliant album. And the, the, the second side is one long piece of music called Hamburg Concerto. Which includes great slugs of classical music in it. It's brilliant piece of work. So that's now my eleventh. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So Hamburger Concerto. If you've never heard it, it is a masterpiece. It is oh, their right. best album. Definitely. Now what is the live album that you? The live got? album I have got is "Welcome Back, My Friends," to the show that never ends What's by Emerson Lake and Palmer. Yeah. Released in August 1974 as a triple live set. And again, a fantastic gatefold sleeve opening three ways. And very, very cleverly, the discs sit inside the E, the L and the P. And that's so when you open it up, you've got an E, an L and a P. Um, Recording in Anaheim during the 73-74 Brain Salad Surgery World Tour comes in at a stonking 109 minutes and 41 seconds, which obviously is right up my street. Um, Got to number four on the Billboard 200. That's the highest charting um, Emerson, Lake and Palmer album. Uh, Number six in the UK. It went gold in a gold disc in the US for 500,000 copies the interesting thing about it is and it, it, it's a little bit like the um like yes songs which is the triple live yes album which from was, was from the previous year yeah. um it, there's no studio overdubs and some of the sound quality is quite poor uh, and in fact there's a one of the critics while saying that it's a brilliant live set, not least of which because they played most of Brain Cell and Surgery and the whole of Carnival 9 on it. Um, but um, his quote was, it gives the impression of being seated in the upper mezzanine of an arena, which is all good stuff. So it's kind of like this thing, you feel like you're there and you feel like you're kind of sitting way, way back in the crowd and it's all happening in front of you, but they haven't overdubbed it, they haven't remixed it, it was just done live and released. And and so it's quite raw and and, and that's what I think a live album should be. Um so um yeah, so that was that was my number my number seven 
Well, plus hamburger concerto, of course. Oh, no, 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 and no, no, then no. throw relayering for good measure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Can you miss those two? <laughs> Just keep you it. Let me keep down it with my list. You let me down with my yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Um, my next one, okay, released in July 74. Um, see if you can guess who it is. I think you'll probably give it away, actually, by the second sentence. It was his second solo album released three. You had a bit of a three-year hiatus recovering from heroin addiction. Oh, I know what this is. This is uh, 361 Ocean Boulevard. Well, if you had 100, or yeah. 461 Ocean Boulevard. Yes. That was a brilliant. That's what I mean. Down, yes. down the street. Yeah, 461 Ocean Boulevard. <laughs> that was a damn fine part. Slightly further up Ocean Boulevard than my original intention. Yes. Yes. I, I, I nearly yeah. included this one on my list. Uh, I, I I know he's Eric Clapton, and he is a bit of a knob these days. He is the king of dicks, along with Roger Daltrey. And the <laughs> Roger Daltrey and Van Morrison. Um, any more? Fred. They don't really, don't really call it. Don't really shouldn't really be mentioned in the same sentence, should they? Eric Clapton, no. Van right Morrison, Roger Daltrey, right said Fred. Right said Fred. Uh, <laughs> it was recorded, uh, funnily enough, at four six one Ocean Boulevard. It's Eric Clapton, if anybody doesn't know. Uh, recorded at that very address in Golden Beach, Florida. Yep. Which Stigwood, Robert Stigwood. Uh, let them use. He also got the Bee Gees to record their main course album there after Eric Clapton had finished recording this album. Uh, Yvonne Elliman was hired to as a full-time group member, as a vocalist, and George Terry also as a yep. guitarist. Um, it was, there was some real bluesy rock, bright bluesy rock songs on the album, um, but also sentimental ballads and probably one of my favorite songs of his let alone on the album was let it grow yeah but that's what i think that's probably my favorite clapton that isn't yeah. layla and stuff like i mean that. he didn't write many on the album I mean, like that he did right let it grow yeah. i think he co-wrote another one with yvonne Elliman. uh and he was he, quite is, proud. That, isn't this the album that's got uh, i shot the sheriff on it Yes, it has. Yeah. I mean, he was quite proud of Let It Grow and, and the way he, the, the guitar um, in it. Um, even though many have said that the melody and chord progression is nearly the same as Stairway to Heaven. Many people have said that. And they're probably right. But there uh, again, Stairway to Heaven's quite like... Uh, quite like Taurus. Quite like Taurus by spirit. So. Quite like. Not at all like, of course. Not really. at all. There's only so many ways you can hang together a bunch of chords, is my Indeed. answer. Well, there's a lot of covers on the album. Yeah. I Shot the Sheriff that you mentioned to there, which was um, a Bob Marley song, which he was introduced to by somebody, probably Stigwood offered it to him to, to have a listen to the, I forget which album it was on now. Uh, no, it escapes me. Um, but he liked it, and Bob Marley liked his cover of it as well. Um, Willie and the Hand Jive, another cover. Both of those were hits of a sort, certainly in the US. Uh, the single I Shot the Sheriff was his only, well, to date. I assume this isn't going to change. Um, I can't imagine any um, anti-vax song that he's written with Van Morrison is going to make it to the top of the chart. 
But I Shot the Sheriff did get to number one in the US. It's only uh, number one over there. Nine in the UK. William the Hand Drive got to 26.55 in the UK. The album, Rolling Stone, had it at number 411. And it opens rather jolly with the motherless children. Real blues, blues cover. Uh, a very up tempo version of what is actually quite a somber song, but it's it's a it's a good it's a good album. Four Six One Ocean Boulevard, Eric Clapton. Yeah, it is. And I saw that on the list and thought, yeah, I think Colin will mention that one because I thought that you would uh, you'd go with your favourite Clapton song and that might swing it. So uh, yeah, was, uh, yeah. Okay, so I'm now taking a very strong left turn into a completely different area for my last three. Um, so as you know, my passion for prog and fusion and all that stuff, so this will not come as any surprise. So the first one is um, Where Have I Known You Before? Um, Return to Forever, featuring Chick Corea. So... Um, Absolutely brilliant band. Well, all these bands are. Uh, so Chick Career on keys and percussion, Al Demiola on guitars, at which point he was only uh, 19 or 20. Um, Stanley Clark on bass and organ and percussion, and then Lenny White on drums. Um, and it very it, it pointed the way to the 1976 classic which is romantic warrior and that's it. If, if you say return to forever then romantic warrior is the album that everybody knows um and i talked about that in the 1976 show um but when you listen to where have i known you before it you it, it very much it, it very much is kind of part one of um of of romantic warrior um and in 1976, when they did Romantic Warrior, Demiola was still only 21. I mean, he's just an amazing guitarist. Um, there's three pieces on there, very short pieces. Um, Where Have I Loved You Before, which is a minute and two seconds. Where Have I Danced With You Before, which is a minute and 14. And then um, uh, Where Have I Known You Before, which is two minutes 20. So there's these kind of three linked, very short, songs jingles three. sorry just a jingle and then that's short and they yeah, used i guess exactly what i'm saying but yeah, yeah. then but then that's more than compensated for by the um the final track which is a song to the pharaoh kings which is a 14 minute and 21 second epic um but i think the thing about and i'm going to come back to this with the other two i've chosen the thing about this genre of music was that there was this kind of purple patch from 1971 to 1977 when just everything these guys touched were just brilliant, brilliant albums. A lot of it following on from people like Miles Davis with Bitches Brew and Feeder Kilimanjaro, people, some of the these guys had played with Miles Davis. So they, they kind of had come up that route and then kind of espouse this sound which uh, and then why did it appeal to me because it was the musicianship and the craft and the convoluted nature of a lot of the music which i which i loved um but but they managed to span this thing so that you know people who were into prog and people who were into jazz and people who were into funk would all kind of coagulate around this kind of sound 
Um, so I think it, it, it kind of, although it is jazz rock or jazz funk, um, I think it, it it's bigger than that. It, it's bigger than the sum of its parts. So, um, yeah, Where Have I Known You Before by Return to Forever. Okay. Um, yeah, jazz fusion, basically, you're saying that yeah. was. Yeah, yeah, jazz fusion. Interesting. Again, it doesn't doesn't sound like my cup of tea, but it's interesting to 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 listen to some different stuff. I noticed on Twitter, John talking of John, um, whether he's still watching, I don't know, but uh, he might might be listening to us now as uh, as we speak on on some form. Um, on Twitter, they he has a group of people where they they give each other an album to listen to each yeah. week. You seen that? Have you seen that? I've, I, was, I, I, I think he talks about it. Anyway. Yeah, I was invited on, but I mean, I, I just haven't got the time to, yeah. to 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 put to it, to be honest. But it's it's an interesting concept. So I should try and listen to some newer stuff or different. I think, it's, I think it's a good idea because I think we do tend to go down a rabbit hole and stick with what we know, you know. Okay. Uh, like the Beatles and yes and what have you right I've got a couple we'll have to quickly run through these last four then um 1974 February they had two albums out this year one was the I think from their first feature film they are a band from not Birmingham but Wolverhampton oh is this Slade in Flame well, Slade in Flame was their second album that year. I haven't gone for that one, although that that showed a maturity unbelievable. And there's some great songs on that as well. Okay. Uh, things like Far, Far Away, uh, for example, How How Does It Feel, I think are on that as well. So I played that on the radio show actually this morning. I think I finished the show with it. But the album I'm talking about is Old, New, Borrowed and Blue. It came out in February 1974. It was their fourth album. It was number one in the UK, uh, even 168 in the US, 200, which is which is something. It did break away from the usual foot stomping rock formula and more to um, um, piano led, non typical yeah. sort of Slade sound. Really, someone they was had talking a couple about this the other day. I can't remember who was talking about it, I and mean, it might have been on Planet Rock. Somebody was talking about the Slade. The Slade album. I think someone asked Wyatt for a request from Slade off this off album. album. Said it mm. was the change. Anyway, well, they know. had a couple of hits with it. Number two with my friend Stan, which was at the end of '73, and then the second one, which was in '74, which was Every Day, which is again just Jim Lee on the piano, basically, and Noddy Holder singing. Yeah, little bit of drumming going on. Um, and in between those two singles from this album, they had the massive Christmas song, of course, which was number one for about four or five weeks, I think. Um, the drummer, Don Powell, was just recovering from a near-fatal car crash. Oh, excellent. That's right. Yeah. He had to be – he was he was seen walking with a cane for this album and that track, certainly, and had to be helped onto the drum stool. Um, but there's some usual Slade fodder on there as well, like Miles Out to Sea, and uh, oh, there's a stacks of songs on there as well. But the two singles uh, are the ones. Um, Noddy Holder said it, it's a mix of old, new, borrowed, and blue songs. Maybe that's why they got the title from, or maybe he's just winding people up. I don't really know. Um, it sold twice, twice as many as previous Slade albums. 
Um, I think US had a couple of singles. Well, when the lights go out, when the lights are out, I think it's called. Uh, was a, it wasn't a hit, and neither was Good Time Girls, but they were both released in the US. Didn't chart. All of them, of course, Noddy Holder, Jim Lee songs. Um, the only one that is no, that's that's not true. The opening track, just want a little bit was an old R&B style blues song. And funny enough, I think that's my least favourite track on the album. The rest, superb. I mean, they, they changed their style, like a lot of bands that we are yeah, talking yeah. about, from that sort of rock, foot-stomping uh, sound, rock rock sound. But they didn't lose, they were matured, but they didn't lose the quality in their songwriting. It all, no, they were what, brilliant, song, brilliant songwriters. And uh, old, new, borrowed, and blue. I'm going to stop there because obviously you've got time to do the other ones as well. So that's Slade, old, new, borrowed, and blue. Okay, so um, sticking with the um, the types of albums that I'm now going round, uh, my next choice, my number nine, is the fourth studio album from Weather Report, and it is Mysterious Traveller. Um, and if you talk about Weather Report, it, it, the next two albums are the ones that everybody knows. But again, this was the album which I think pointed the way to that. It was the first one with Alfonso Johnson on bass, who replaced Miroslav Vitus, um, although he plays on the track American Tango. Um, two drummers, uh, Ishmael Wilburn and Skip Haddon, and then multi-percussionist Dom Um Romeo. It's very much synthesizer-dominated. It's ensemble playing, but a lot more of the kind of Latin funk sound. Um, obviously, the mainstays of Weather Report are Joe Zavinal and Wayne Shorter um, on sax and uh, the co-writer of all the stuff. Um, beautiful acoustic duet on a song called Blackthorn Rose. Um and then there is a, again, it's a long song, well, 10 minutes 39, um, a, a track called Nubian Sundance. But again, the, I mean, you know, you, you take that, you know, Zavinal Shorter, Alfonso Johnson, they are all just stellar musicians. Um, and then, you know, the, 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 the rhythm section, again, very few bands playing with two drummers. Um, and bongos, I guess, you know, Santana, the Ormond Brothers, you know, you can count on the fingers of one hand, the one, the, the number of bands were set up this way. Um, the, um, Mysterious Traveller kind of points them forward to Black Market, which was uh, much more successful commercially, and then Heavy Weather. And Heavy Weather is the one which has got the single that everybody knows, which is Morning Dance. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which I might request on the radio at some point this week. Okay, I look forward to that. You'll like it. It's a it's I'm, a real upbeat, happy song. I'm su I'm surprised that you like some on this album because they are shorter songs. <laughs> you see, you see what I did there. I see what you did there. Yeah, Wayne, Wayne, Shorter. Wayne Shorter is a genius. Okay. He's a genius in the way that Chick, and, and so is Joe Zavinal, in the same way that Chick Corea is on, um, and, and, you know, what well, all of the guys on Return to Forever. You just have this group of just fantastic musicians, absolutely fantastic musicians. Okay. Anyway, if anyone has, if anyone's into, if anyone's into 
jazz rock, then Mysterious Traveller is a good gateway to the rest of uh, what Weather Report were about. Is your last one going to be jazz fusion as well, jazz rock? Yes. Okay. Um, right, I've got one more to do. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I've got so many written down here. I've got a few. I'm not going to go. I'll tell you what I'm going to go for. I'm going to go. I was going to have Bad Company. Right, so well, they're, they're on my reserve list. On reserve list. Um, but I, 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 I'm not going to include them because I thought you were going to be talking about them anyway. Um, another couple of albums, like the Gallagher Lyles, like the Ronnie Lanes, I was listening to a lot at the time. There was Southern Brothers and Quiver album called Beat of the Street, which I could have included. Yeah, and also right. aforementioned Andy Fair with a Low, Spider Joining, which is also a great album. Pleased you didn't go for that because then you would have had the entire everybody that you always mention. So you would have done yeah, that. Okay. All right. Um, uh, another couple. One I was always mocked for liking at the time was Gordon Lightfoot. Whenever I was listening to Genesis and, well, I was into choirs. Gordon, well. Lightfoot, Gordon Lightfoot wrote some really good songs. He's a really yeah. good songwriter. Sundown is the album yeah. I'm talking about. And there's, some, yeah. there's some great songs. Ten great songs on that. Um, Elton John's album, his eighth album, Caribou. I was con- contemplating that, but I'm not going to go for that. But I, read, I was reading a good quote. The producer of that album, Gus Dudgeon, have said, it was a piece of crap. <laughs> the sound is the worst songs are nowhere the sleeve came out wrong the lyrics weren't that good the singing wasn't all that playing wasn't great and the production is just plain lousy so he didn't like it and he was a producer but I thought it wasn't that bad an album I mean had don't let the sun go down on me he had the bitches yeah, back and I think there's some great songs in it. I'll tell you what I'm going to go for. It might surprise you. Um, I'm going to go for an October 74 release. It was his second album, surprisingly, by Leo Sayer. And it's called Just a Boy. Mm, I remember it. And great tracks. Uh, nothing stunning about, you know, I mean, it's just, just great piano-led, yep. uh, acoustic piano-led tracks, right. uh, various pianists. Uh, including one, David Courtney, who co-wrote all the songs with Leo Sayer. Um, and I'd say it's probably Soft Rock, the album. It got to number four in the UK. And it, it's, I've written down here, it got to number 16 in the US. I find that hard to believe. But US pop albums, if that's the Billboard 200, I don't really know. Uh, produced by David Courtney and Adam Faith. And with David Courtney writing all the uh, music and Leo Sayer writing all the lyrics. Um, yeah, two two big singles on it. Uh, one Man Band, which was a number six in the UK, which was one of two songs that they'd already given to Roger Daltrey, your friend, to re- release on his debut album called Daltrey the year before. One Man Band's on that, as they did with Give It All Away. Which is another great song. Giving yeah, yeah. it all away. Um, yeah. He's a really good songwriter. He's a good songwriter. Also, Long Tall Glasses was a, was a yeah, top number four was, hit. Yeah. Number four in the UK too. So that's me done. Okay, so my last, uh, and then I've got a few I'll mention like you just did. Um, my last one is the fourth album from the band, but their third studio album. So obviously one was a live album. It was 
produced at Air Studios by George Martin. And his quote is one of the best records. I hope it's better than Gus Dudgeon's quote about Caribou. Produced by George Martin, quote, one of the best records I have ever made. Got to number 43 on the US billboard. Did nothing in the UK. And it is Apocalypse by the Mahavishnu Orchestra. Well, when when you said and, what style of music it was going to be, I was going to I was going to plump for Mahavishnu Vishnu Orchestra. Well, but it's um, it's this. It, it's interesting because it, it, it um, Apocalypse has got um, the um, the London Symphony Orchestra on it as well. So it's it's very much uh, a symphonic uh, a symphonic album. Um, it's the second lineup of the band. So obviously John McLaughlin, the world's greatest guitarist, don't argue with me, um, followed with, and then Gail Moran on keys, John Luke Ponty on violin. I've got a John Luke Ponty album called Aurora. That's brilliant as well. Um, Ralph Armstrong on bass and then Narada Michael Warden on drums. And if you remember when we did the 76 year, um, I had, uh, or 77, whichever year it was, 77, um, I had their final album was one of my favourite albums, and he kind of drove that. So he kind of, he took over from Billy Cobham on drums and um, and very much drove their sound going forward. Um, only five tracks, uh, Power of Love, Victim, uh, sorry, Power of Love, uh, Vision is a Naked Sword, great title, but only 14 minutes and 16 seconds, um, and then Smile of Beyond. Um Wings of Karma on um, side two, and then the final track, which is Him to Him, H-Y-M-N to H-I-M, uh, which comes in at 19 minutes and 23 seconds. So obviously... How many? 19? 1923. So uh, that's, that's almost... That don't request that one on the radio. That, that's almost... I'm not going to request any of these. That's almost up at the S levels of uh, of uh, length of uh, songs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's mine. Um, I'm annoyed that I didn't get Relay and Hamburg Concerto. So the other ones I thought about were fulfilling this first finale, Steve. Yeah, Martin. well, I thought... I'm surprised you... Yeah, I thought... Well, I, I, I thought you were going to choose it, which is why I didn't. Um, Autobahn, Craftwork. Mm, yeah, that no, was, I, uh, I that was stack, that I mean, that was very much... Uh, of that kind of Phaedra and Faust kind of yeah. Pratt Rock era. Um, Colton Spark, the last, the last Joni Mitchell album okay. before yeah. she went very jazzy and, you know, that was her last commercial album, if you like. Um, Country Life, Roxy. Yeah. You're I, well, I chose, I chose a song off that this morning because um, I knew Pretzel Logic, Steely Dan. Dan, yeah. Um, Natty Dread, Bob Marley and the Wailers, which has got the original version of No Woman, No Cry in it before the, I mean, the, the, the one that everybody knows is the live album. Good Earth, Band from Man's Earth Band. Um, Stormbringer, Deep Purple. And Diamond Dogs by Bowie. Bowie, yeah. And the one that I thought you would definitely choose, uh, Blood on the Tracks, Dylan. Hmm. Which I also got from my dealer this very week, along with Crime of the Century. So it was on the latest delivery. I didn't even see blood on the tracks, to be perfectly honest. Was that definitely well, that, was, that was like me not seeing Amber's Concerto. <laughs> ah, well, you see, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm looking at Wiki. It says it's released January 20th, 1975. Maybe that's why I didn't see it. But to be honest, I don't think I'd have had it in. I don't think I'd I've, have had it in. 
Well, I've got the album. It says 1974 on the... Um... You can, someone's just changed that, obviously, to 75. It was me, just to make sure that you were wrong. There were stacks of albums. I mean, you, the ones you've mentioned, I'm surprised that you didn't have. I mean, my my 10 for you were Pretzel Logic, Second Helping, I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight, Richard Linda Thompson. No. <laughs> I saw that it came out that year, but that, that would never be anywhere near Hamburg it. Concerto. Yeah, I'm really annoyed. I mean, that would have been top of the list. Bad Company, Fulfilling His First Sonali, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, Country Life, On the Beach. Not they well. were the 10 that I got. It, it did and that. you did have Second Helping, On uh, the Beach, Lamb Lies Down, and On and the on Beach. The Oh, yeah, only three. Uh, oh, and one other. That's only nine I gave you there. The other one, I'm definitely sure you were going to have, which was Irish Tour 74. Um, again, that completely slipped my mind. I think part of this is that I think if you do a podcast as often as this, you end up repeating yourself. And I've talked about Irish Tour 74 ad nauseam on previous things, not least of which the live album. So whereas if I was going to choose a live album, I've not talked about um, Welcome Back, My Friends. So I just thought, well, let's go with that one. I mean, 74 now, when I look back on it, it was a golden year and I've got loads of stuff from 74. Yeah. So I'm annoyed annoyed about Hamburg Concerto because that definitely would have been in there. Great album. Uh, yeah, Corn Spot. Grievous Angel, Graham Parsons. You yeah. might have had that one. Nice. Uh, what, were one what Were Once Vices When Our Habits? It's Joe Walsh, isn't it? Uh, no, Doobies. Doobies. Oh, the Doobies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Radio City, Big Star. I thought you might have considered Kansas. I thought you might have been a big fan of their debut album. No, uh, the Hoople. Leftover children. These are ones that are, were, were, were considered, but not... Um, a sheer heart attack by Queen Queen Turk. I knew you weren't going to have those. Uh, Country Life. Yeah, there were two. Believe it or not, that yet year. Heart like a wheel. Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, good. Music Ten CC. Not too bad, but you know, I think I saw just, I saw that Ten CC came out that year, and that's in the thousand one albums to hear before you die. And I thought, well, yeah, there's a, some good songs in it, but it's not all yeah. that. Smiler, Rod Stewart. It's only rock and roll, heart of Saturday night. Tom Waits. There's yeah. so many. There's a lot. There's so, there's so many. So many, and we can't mention every last one of them. Although we've just done a pretty good job between us. Well, you haven't done badly. <laughs> we haven't done badly. Oh, there's a lot more I could have. I could have <laughs> but I've I've refrained. Uh, but that completes season three of Off the Record. So is it the end of the season? Did it's we win? The, the, did we win the cup? No, we never win a trophy, do we? Our trophy cabinet is bare. Very bare. It's very, very bare. Extremely bare. Uh, But I repeat, at least Arsenal lost tonight. Yes, excellently. Something something to be happy about anyway. Uh, We're so shallow. We're so shallow. Thank you very much, Pete, for this. Oh, and, and so many others as well. And hopefully we'll be back if recommissioned. We'll have a have a chat with Shaggy. If we can a recommissioning ceremony. A reconditioning. A reconditioning? A recommissioning. A recommissioning. Yeah, recommissioning yeah, yeah. ceremony. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Do, do I get a badge or a hat? I maybe. Think we I, in fact, I think we need off the record t shirts. 
Well, that could be soon. You never know. This is what we need. We Definitely need off the record t-shirts. We, can, we need to be selling merch. Yes. Merch. Well, I'm sure Shaggy's is this. It, and it needs to say, not on the BBC. And not on the BBC. Yeah, if it, says, yes. so it needs to say, <laughs> off the record, yeah. and then underneath, not on the BBC. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. This podcast will be posted to all the usual places, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, etc., etc. et al. We do Latin. We do Latin. I did Latin at school, did you? So, yes, I did. Good. Uh, Amo, Amas, Amat. Amarvus, Amartus, Amant. I remember that so well with Basil. Basil Boothroyd. Do you remember him? Uh, Oh, yes. Doing well. Uh, I remember Helen, Helen Boyd. He a board rubber at someone once and caught him on the side of the head. I'm yeah, sure he got into a bit of trouble with that. No, that was perfectly it was perfectly acceptable behaviour. Tommy Leake on one occasion lost his temper with somebody who should remain nameless in my class and he threw the blackboard compass. Oh, nice. <laughs> no, well, we were both right at the back of the class, weren't we? I think right, yes, that was one of the advantages. In fact, it had to have an arm like a like a, a baseball pitcher to get to us. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> well, I think we better we better shut up shop. I think yeah. uh, and say it's not. It's, the well, it's not. It's good night from me and I, and I. And I Goodbye to the series. A goodbye to the season. From me. <laughs> and it's a good night from him and to the season. Indeed. Not off. Not off. See ya. Thank you. <laughs>